We all have obstacles and uncertainties in life. Some good and some bad times. But through it all, we can be assured that God understands how to make all things work together for good. Our job is to stay on the path as he brings his purpose into focus. Hallelujah. It's so good to see all of you once more. The Lord is good. Amen. Shall we please bow our heads in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for opportunity to come before your presence. We bless you for this day. Just like we have just adored and worshipped and sung. Help us to recognize your faithfulness. Even when the status quo does not seem to dictate so. Because we know fine fingerprints of God is interwoven in a tapestry of life. Be glorified both now and forevermore in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen. Amen. In a very short time we have together, I uh, like for us to go to the Bible. But before then, thank you so much, Pastor Brian, Pastor Sharon. Thank you for the opportunity, Pastor Lanry, and the leadership of the house. I'm grateful to God for all of you. Amen. I want to speak very briefly on the topic, the faithfulness of God through the storms of life. What an apropos song for the present worship people. Did you steal my notes? Let's go to John. The chapter will be six. Reading from verse 16 to 21. There's so much to say, we shall attempt to say it in a very short time. John 6, 16 to 21. Are you there? All right. Now when evening was, evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, be not afraid. Turn to the person next to you, it is the master, be not afraid. Hallelujah. Ah, all right. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. 
May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. This story we have just read has a counterpart story in the book of Luke. We'll find that in chapter number 4 from verse 39 to about 30. 39 to 40, 41. Uh, but I'd like to concentrate on the one we have just read from the Gospel of John. And I'd like to start by giving you a little bit of background about the book of John. And then we shall dive into it. Uh, the book of John is part of the four Gospels that we have. Uh, Matthew, of course, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. But of these four Gospels, they are also subdivided into two. You have the Synoptic Gospels and then the Gospel of John. The Synoptic Gospels would then be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John stands by himself. Why is John not part of the synoptics? In any event, what is the synoptic gospel? Synoptic comes from two words that is fused together, sin and optic. Sin, which is the prefix, is the same word from which we get synonym or similar. Optics means to see. So when you join the two, it means Matthew, Mark, and Luke being synoptics they see Jesus alike, or they see Jesus in a similar fashion. John is not a synoptic. John wrote his document for a purpose. His purpose is stated in John 20, verse 30 and 31. In John 20, 30, he said, And many signs did Jesus do, which is not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that he is Christ the Son of God. In other words, my mission for writing is solely to let you know that Jesus is God the Son. So he does not begin his document with genealogy like we saw in Matthew 1, 1 yesterday, um, last week. Straight away he goes for the jugular. John 1, 1. In the beginning was... Um, um, there's no time to play. Let me just give you to you the way it is. Verse 1 of John 1 is so loaded, I can unpack it in four Sundays. Just that one verse. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning. The Greek is N-R-K. Where is my bishop? Manadon. All right. 13th tribe. God give him a hand. Amen. He did a wonderful job the last time when he treated this. And by the way, he's the only rapper I know who is a sanctified gospel preacher. I mean, when the 13th tribe is, is ministering here, it's poetry and it's, it's ministry, you know that. I enjoy them. Just give them a hand. Amen. I appreciate God for the diversity of gifts we have in the house. They are the only people I know that rap without doing the traditional rap stuff. If you know what I mean. The young people know what I'm talking about. Come on now. This is church, but you know what I'm saying. They don't do this. Because they don't need inspiration from there. I don't know what they dig for when they go to. Well, that is inspiration. Anyway, so in the beginning was the word. Give a lot of hand in this place. The word was with God and the word 
was God, NRK, in the beginning. So the word NRK is qualified by the first uh, verb that you see there, was. And that was is in the imperfect tense. What is an imperfect tense? Those of you who know English. An imperfect tense is uh, a continuous action in the past. So if I said to you, when I got to Pastor Bang's house, he was going. Did Pastor Bang start to go when I got to his house? No, he was already there before I got to the house. He was going. So when John says, in the beginning was the word, it does not mean that the word came into existence from the beginning. No. It means that before the beginning began, the word was already there. And you can push the beginning as far back as you want. By the time you get there, the word would have been there. So in other words, Jesus did not come into being from the beginning. He has always been there. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God means he has always been with God. And the word was God means he has always been God. So when you go to chapter 20, verse 30, we talked about where he says many signs that Jesus do, but these are recorded. It means John strategically chose some miracles to record in his document or to prove that Jesus is God. And one of them is what we are about to study in John chapter 6. The first one was in John chapter 2, where at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, he turned water into wine. The second one you can find in John chapter 4. He heals a nobleman's son. Remember, the man came to him and said, well, that was also in Cana of Galilee. Heal my son, my, my son. And he said, well, he said, come heal my son. Come to my house. Jesus says, well, except you see, you will not believe. He said, go your way. Your son is made whole. While the man was on his way, he was met by his servants and said, your son is whole. He inquired of them, what time did my son get healed? When he checked the time, it was at the same moment that Jesus says that your son is healed. May Jesus heal somebody here today. So that was the second miracle, John chapter 4. Third miracle will be in John chapter 5. A man is infirmed for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. And he said, I have no man to carry me when the angel stirs the water. You don't need a man when Jesus is on your case. But one day Jesus showed up. He said, will you be made whole? And that man started to talk Greek and grammar and Ashanti and Yoruba and Ghana and all that. I said, I don't want to hear what you're talking about. Would you be made whole? Just carry your bag. Oh, yeah, go. The man carried his bag and he went. But look at the devastating perception of, of the law. When the Jews saw the man carrying his bed on the Sabbath day, by the way, Jesus chose to heal him on the Sabbath. Because he wanted to stir controversy and to prove that he is God. You know the man has been infirmed for 38 years. When you saw the man carrying his bed, if you were a good man, would you not rejoice with him? They are questioning, who did this to you on the Sabbath? So in other words, you are more concerned about the Sabbath than a man who has found deliverance after 38 years. I don't know who he is. I don't know. All I know is that who made me well says carry your bed and go so I carried and I went anyway eventually time is going eventually they got circled back to Jesus and realized he was the one and then they started to challenge him 
Jesus made a profound statement which you have heard before. He said, my father worketh, so do I. Immediately they were incensed. The Bible says, and the Jews began to seek to kill him. It's such an innocuous, innocent statement. My father worketh, and so do I. But they understood, because the very next verse in chapter 5 says that, for he being a man sought to make himself equal with God. Whenever you engage a Muslim that says, show me anywhere in your Bible where Jesus says he is God, there's plenty of places. Come, I'll show you some. This is one of them. The people he was talking to understood what he meant when he says that, my father worketh and so do I. What does that mean? Jesus is saying that your Sabbath laws that you have tied your neck with, when it is the Sabbath, God does not care about your Sabbath. If the grass must grow on Saturday, it grows. If the rain must come, it comes. If the sun must shine, it shines. If the moon must come, it comes. He does not care about your Sabbath. So if God does his thing without your Sabbath, me too, I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. That's why they said he makes himself equal with God. Anyway, let's go. So that's what, third miracle, right? Fourth miracle you will find in John chapter 6. Two miracles in John chapter 6. One of them is what we're considering. The first one, Jesus multiplies the loaf of bread and fish and feeds 5,000 men, excluding women and children. So don't say Jesus fed 5,000 people. No, he fed over 13,000. Because if it is 5,000 men, Bible is careful, besides women and children. If the population of women is twice that of men, and then you add children, depending on the propensity of a particular family to procreate, some have like 20, some like, you know what I'm talking about. I almost say, you know what I'm saying, it's okay. So, so yes sir. So, that's miracle number what? Five or something. Okay, number six, in that same chapter six, Jesus walked on water. Amen? No, that's actually five. The fourth one was uh, five. The sixth one is in John chapter nine. You know the story already. The man that was born blind. Jesus heals him. These same people went back to him and said, don't say it is this man. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know for sure, that once I was blind, now I can see. I can see you the way you, you. <laughs> That's miracle number six. Miracle number seven, you will find in John chapter 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Then between chapters number 12 all the way to chapter 21, you see the unfolding of Jesus' last one week. Okay? So let's go back to the text. John chapter 6, 16 to 21. After the disciples had participated, in one of the strategic miracles that John decided to record in his document, that is the feeding of 5,000 men besides women and children, the disciples participated. I said participated because if you study the text well, the actual multiplication took place in their hands. Jesus blessed the bread, gave to them, and then they began to give. As they were giving, the thing was not exhausting. So the multiplication took place in their hands. So they participated with him in the multiplication and the feeding. Now, after they were done, the same chapter, not another one after, they were in the boat, and then the storms of life began to hit. Can I tell you something? You can close from a prayer meeting and get home and get hit by the storms of life. 
The fact that you have just witnessed the miracle of God does not make you immune from the situations of life. You are not always responsible for stuff that come to you. Sometimes God allows it for a reason. Every human being under the sound of my voice goes through the storms of life. Unpleasant situations. Situations you don't call for. Situations that make life terribly difficult. Am I talking to somebody here? That's what I call the storms of life. In this life, there are three categories of people as far as the storms of life is concerned. You are either entering the storms of life, you have exited the storms of life, or you are going through one right now as we speak. You can't escape any of these three. Every human being, whether regardless of your level of anointing, the storms of life will come. Jesus puts it this way. In this life, you will have tribulation. I guarantee you, it's a promise. But there is a difference. If you are anointed and you are born again and you are a child of God, Jesus introduces a but. In this life you will have tribulation. But! Your children may be insubordinate right now, but! You may not know where the next bill is going to be paid from, but! I thank God for the bats when the storms of life come. How about Psalm 34, 19? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You want to go to Psalm 23, verse 4? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? For the Lord is with me. But Micah 7, 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemies, for when I fall, I shall rise again. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. The storms of life will come, but there is a distinction between those that are saved and those that are not saved as far as the storms of life is concerned. Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. It says, when you go through the waters and the storms, I will be there with you. That's the difference. I'll be there with you. So every human being goes through the storms of life. But there is a difference. It's akin to, do you know, that in heaven on the judgment day, the only people that will be qualified to be in heaven are sinners. Let me think in for a minute. Yes. But there are two categories of sinners. Unrepented sinners and sinners saved by grace. 
akin to goats and the sheep is another metaphor that he uses. I'm preaching myself happy in this place. Glory to God. So there are three kinds of storms. Very quickly, three kinds of storms. The first one will be self-imposed storms. There are the kind of storms that your indiscretions and actions bring upon you. Amen? Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked. Be not deceived. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. Is that in your Bible? You cannot sow bad seeds and pray for crop failure. Once it is there, so there are self-imposed storms. If you think I'm lying, ask a man by the name of Samson. A Nazarite who are taking a Nazarite vow that is not supposed to see dead bodies or have his head shaven. One day he decided to get a haircut and he went to the wrong barber shop. In the first instant, your hair is not even supposed to be shaved. But when he decided, he went to the wrong barber shop, the barber shop of Delilah and Cole. I believe that's the name of the barber shop, Delilah and Cole. In Judges chapter 16 from verse number 20 to about 22, the Bible says there came a time when Samson's eyes were plucked out because now he is living out the devastating consequences of the storms he created for himself. So he got to a time, he said, I will shake myself this once more. The Bible says, but he did not know that the spirit had departed. Don't we all, at one point or the other, say things we have no business saying to people we have no business saying it to about people we have no business talking about or hanging out with people we have no business hanging out with drinking some bottles you have no business drinking oh come on now this is church church is supposed to be the gathering not a roll call of angels a gathering of sinners that are saved by grace talk to me real talk I don't know about you, but I have not always been perfect. Neither have you. But in spite of whatever that something did that brought that upon himself, I love God. The grace of God is always available. Even though his hair was cut, the Bible said there came a time when the hair on something's head began to grow again. May your hair begin to grow again in the name of Jesus. The apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. He talks about how that we are saved by the exceeding riches of his grace. Ephesians 2 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the world exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. God is kind towards us. You don't understand grace. The Bible in Ephesians 2, 7, pastor, 
did not just say the grace of God. He said his grace. Not just his grace. The riches of his grace. Not just the riches of his grace. The exceeding riches of his grace. The grace of God is so powerful. It is couched in, 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 in colorful languages. In superlatives. Not just grace, but his grace. Not his grace, but the riches of his grace. Not the riches of his grace, but the exceeding riches of his grace. I can push it more if you want me to. First Peter 4.10. Give it to me in the Amplified. First Peter 4.10. First Peter 4.10. In the AMP. First Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10. If you don't put it up, I'll quote it. Okay. As each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, employ it for one another as benefits. Good trustees of God's word, many-sided grace. In the other Amplified, it says the multifaceted grace. If I fuse 1 Peter 4.10 and Ephesians 2.7, you know what I'll get? The exceeding riches of his multifaceted grace. That's what's available to get you out of your storm you have imposed on yourself. Give a lot of hand in this place. You should thank God for Christ. Amen. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not a high priest that is not touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but he was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. As a result of that, let us therefore come before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because you have a touchable high priest. You know, Jesus is in heaven as a man. He's not in heaven as an angel. He came down from heaven and he is in heaven because of you and I as a man. Do you know Jesus lost his estate? When I say lost his estate, his first estate. Now he's in heaven as a man. The Bible says it. There is one mediator between God and man. Who? The angel Christ Jesus. Why? So when you come before God and you are praying and asking God for mercy, Jesus looks down upon you. That's the meaning of Ephesians chapter, no, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. And he says, Father, please give Dr. Onof your mercy. Give Dr. Onof your grace. For I know what it feels to be betrayed. I know what it feels to be hungry and be given vinegar. I know what it feels like to be hated by your own brothers. For he came to his own and his own received him more. I know what it feels like. Therefore, please give them grace. That is a touchable high priest. All right, let me just go on, please. That's the first storm. The one that you, your actions impose upon you. The second one is the storms that others impose on you. There are people who hate your gut for nothing you have done wrong. Just because you have such a strong confidence in God. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Throw not away your confidence in the Lord, for it has a great recompense of reward. You know the faithfulness of God, therefore you are comforted. You walk in confidence and somebody interprets that to mean arrogance. Because of that, they will hate you. 
or God gives you a dream. He said, where you are today is not where I'm taking you tomorrow. And shows you your tomorrow. Your mistake is to tell it. Immediately you are hated. Others have imposed storms upon you. Give me 2 Corinthians 11 from verse 23 to 26. Very quickly. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as... I speak as, fool, as a fool. I'm more. In labor is more abundant. In stripes, you know what, because of time. Jump to 26. In journeys often, in perils of water. In perils of what? In perils of what? My own countrymen. They impose, my own countrymen impose storms upon my life. You want to push it? In peril of who? In perils of, in the what? In perils in the, in perils in the, in the perils among what? Some people, their tongue is only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pray with them. As soon as you leave the phone, then they take the phone and call the other person and impose a storm on you, false brethren. Retalk. False brethren. Just like Joseph. For just a dream that God gave you, they hate you and throw storms your way. They dug a pit for him, sold him into slavery. But in Genesis 50, 20, the grace and the faithfulness of God showed one more time. For what you meant for evil, God has used it for good. That's the second set of storm. How about the third one? The third storm is the storm that God himself permits. Yeah. God permits some storms. Job 23, 10. He knows the way that I go. He said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as fire, as what? Purified in the fire. God allows some storms to come. He permits it. Oh, yeah. Lamentations 1.12. Lamentations 1.12. Because of time, let me rush through this. Lamentations 1.12. Can you give it to me? It is nothing to you all you who pass by, behold, and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. This is Jeremiah the prophet that is penning this document. And this is some 586 years before Christ. 586 BC, he's writing this that the Lord has permitted so much affliction to come on them, including them going into captivity in Babylon. You read the whole of the book of Lamentations, it is one big, uh, sorrowful saga after the other. But look at Lamentations 3, verse 22. Start from 21. Lamentations 3, 21. The, the man talks about all the afflictions that they have gone through and all of that. Then he caught himself. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. 
Jeremiah, what do you recall? Give me the next verse. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. This I recall to memory, therefore I have hope. What do you recall, Jeremiah? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed and his compassions fail not. Notice, mercies and compassions is in a plural form. God is, you see, there is plurality with God when it comes to discharging his mercies and compassions. That word compassion is in the feminine form. It means the womb of a mother or a, a prospective mother that is nursing his fetus. This, in spite of everything we have gone through, where men, uh, women are eating their own children, read the book of Lamentation, including the Lord permitting Nebuchadnezzar to come, including everything. Let me pause. For when I recall to memory, what do you recall? The mercies of God. Give me the next one. They are what? Somebody said they are new every morning. Hallelujah. How does the Lord intervene in our storms? The Lord intervenes in our storms in three ways. The first way is when he intervenes in your storm, he speaks to you that is in the storm. And now you will find in John 6, 20, what does he say to you when you are in the storm? Fear not. <laughs> fear not, say fear not. Turn to the person next to you and say fear not. I am reminded in Exodus chapter number 13, the Bible says, and Joshua told the children of Israel, fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall see them again no more forever. Not. What did he tell Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20:15? He said, This battle is not yours. God will take the responsibility for your storm and show you his faithfulness. Give a lot of hand and say, Yes. Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know. you as a good shepherd to the steel waters. You know the meaning of that? It tells you how much gracious God is and how caring he is. It doesn't matter where the shepherd, the good shepherd will find steel waters. He will go there to make sure you have it. You know why? Because the distance between the mouth and the nose of a sheep is so close. If the waters are not steel, they will choke themselves in drinking water. So in caring for you, he overcares and considered all the dots, all the eyes and crosses the T's. He will lead you to the still waters. In other words, when you are going and there's stormy water, he said, no, not this one. There's a still one there. This one you will choke. Give a lot of hand. Be still and know that I am God. So first one, he speaks to you in the storm. 
Second one, very quickly. We shall find that in Luke 4, 39. He now speaks to the storm you are in and tells the storm, peace, be still. The third one, very quickly, he now comes and he speaks to the storm that has now developed inside of you as a result of the challenges you are going through. You are beginning to have doubts. You are beginning to be fearful. So the third one is he now speaks to that storm that is in, the, in your midst. And what does he say? Where is thy faith? Luke 4. In conclusion. In conclusion. Luke 440, that was it. In conclusion. God is faithful. I just need three more minutes. God is faithful. Numbers 23, the verse will be 19. Numbers 23, verse is 19. You know it already. For God is not a man that he should lie. These words were uttered by a prophet for her. His name is Balaam. And he is telling Balak, the one that hired him, that God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Give me the next verse. 20. 20. He says something about blessing. I know it's there. 20. Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. Listen, let me tell you something. When you talk about faithfulness, as far as men, mortal men are concerned, we don't have a clue of what that means. All right? In the strictest sense, what we know is to introduce a prefix to the faithfulness, the prefix UN, unfaithfulness. That's what mortal men know. Faithfulness is what distinguishes the divine from humanity. The absolute unfaithfulness of man is contrasted by, by, by the totality of God's trustworthiness. What are you saying, this garment? Go ahead and say it. What I'm saying is that in Exodus chapter 3, as I bring the message to a close, Moses was taking care of his own business and he saw a bush that was burning. Yet, that the bush was not being consumed. In other words, whatever strange bush this is, the fire that is in the bush is not dependent upon the bush for fuel. It carries its own fuel to burn. Hallelujah. When the Bible says God is a consuming fire, do you know what it means? It says, let me draw near and see what this is about. Check it out. He got there and God got his attention. What is that phenomenon? It is a phenomenon that is known as the Shekinah glory of God. Where God manifests his presence through his Shekinah glory. So Moses saw this and said, take off your sandals for this place is holy ground. It's the Shekinah glory of God. I'm saying that to say in Genesis chapter 15 now. As I really get ready to close. Verse 1, God comes to Abraham and said, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Abraham says, 
Now, if that is so, how come I am going childless? For this man that is of Damascus, this Eliezer of Damascus, he is the one that is my hair. God said, no. What kind of talk is this? One that is born of your own loins, he shall be your hair. God, how am I going to know? God says, get you a three-year-old Haifa, three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram. Get some pigeon. Get some turtle dove. Can, you, can I tell you something? In those times in Israel, when some two people are about to enact a covenant, they don't have what Pastor Ibiki and them do when they are closing a house. You sign a lot of documents. I used to do that. In fact, I had to craft a very simple signature because I was signing plenty of documents. I do like this. I'm gone. So they don't sign documents. What they do is, if they cut a covenant, whatever is the token of the covenant, once it is killed, one to the left and one to the right, you walk through. The contracting parties will walk through. And what you are saying in effect is, if I fail to honor the details of this covenant, may I be as mutilated as these things that are lying here. God told Abraham, this three-year-old Haifa, three-year-old she-goat, uh, she three-year-old ram, I want you to cut them in the middle, part to the left and part to the right. And then he was there in the cool of the day. The Bible says, that Shekinah glory in Exodus chapter 3 appeared all of a sudden and it was walking in the middle of the offering that was made. What are you trying to tell Abraham God? God is saying, Abraham, I am so faithful to bring you out of your storms. If I don't honor the terms of my promises to you, may I, God, be as mutilated as these animals you are seeing here. I am so committed to making sure that everything I have told you comes to pass. If I fail to honor it, I want you to mutilate my name just like you know to do. Therefore, the Bible tells us, the writer of Hebrews picks it up in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. It says, for God, when he made a promise unto Abraham, seeing there was not greater by whom he can swear, swore unto himself. He said, in blessing, I will bless you. God is so faithful. Whether your storm is self-imposed, imposed by others, or permitted by God, he is a faithful God. That for God... When he made you a promise, when he make you a promise, seeing there's none greater by whom he can swear, has sworn by himself. And he said, Yedo, you walk through your storms. I'll be right there with you. The Lord bless you.